Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. My name is Mark Sennett. I'm the CEO of Western Business Media, which is the publisher of Health and Safety Matters magazine. Delighted that you can all join us today. And my thanks go to our sponsor, who once again is the Health and Safety event. If you're not familiar with the Health and Safety event, it takes place on the 5th to 7th of April 2022 at the NEC in Birmingham. Now, if you register up for free to the event, which you can do at www.health.com, and safetyevent.com that's healthandsafetyevent.com by registering for free you can also have access in the same halls to the security event the fire safety event and the new workplace event which has previously been branded as the facilities event so three days of cpd content on offer for all there'll be hundreds of exhibitors showing the latest products and services from the health and safety fire safety security and workplace sectors in general so we're obviously putting on the content for the knowledge exchange there health and safety matters is doing that and that's really a theater where you can just go in and ask as many questions to a panel of experts on the listed topics as you want so it's a great resource and of course our awards the safety health excellence awards actually take place on the second night there the 6th of april so yeah if you want to register for free, please do so at healthandsafetyevent.com. Now, before I get started with the news, obviously the podcast isn't the only way you can get the latest news. Health and Safety Matters is the biggest publication in the sector. You can go to our website, hsmsearch.com, to see daily news, prosecutions, products and services uploaded there. Go through our back archive of CPD webinars to listen to for free on demand, or even our digital conference on hsmlive.com. All of these you can get CBD for listening to on demand, or you can sign up to our upcoming webinars that we've got there. You can sign up to get the magazine six times a year for free, or you can join along with 50,000 of your industry colleagues and get our twice-a-week e-newsletter for free. And, and if you want to go to the webinars, as I said, it's hmsearch.com and click on the webinars tab at the top. We've got some great webinars coming up in February on mitigating work-related ill health through effective COSH compliance. We've also got detector systems and fire safety in large premises with FFE. And we've got the importance of digital fire logbooks with TO Fire. And then we've got more in March with 3M hazards in metalworking, welding and abrasives. That's to name but a few. So hsmsearch.com. But as always, we start with the news. And, you know, this is pretty much as big a news story as we're going to start off with on the podcast these days. So the HSE has published work-related health and injury statistics. So the Health and Safety Executive has published these statistics which cover work-related ill health, non-fatal workplace injuries and enforcement actions taken by the HSE during 2020-21 period. So here are the headline stats, guys. 1.7 million workers have been suffering from work-related illnesses, around half of which were stress, depression or anxiety. So two new estimates have been developed to measure the impact of coronavirus. So according to these stats, 93,000 workers self-reported catching COVID at work and 52,000 of these worked in the human health and social work sectors. So 640, sorry, 645,000, easy for me to say, workers reported that their work-related illnesses was caused or made worse by the coronavirus pandemic. 70% of these were cases of stress, depression and anxiety. Certainly something that we can all understand. The pressures of COVID have been horrendous for everybody and the stress and anxiety, you know, I think that's the thing that not enough people really understand is how this pandemic has not just made people sick or or even worse, it's the knock-on effects from the stress, anxiety, etc. that's been caused by the economic and personal damages um, caused in the wake of this pandemic. So the pandemic has affected 
certain data collection and impacted on the assessment of trends. Therefore, there is no new data on working days lost, they actually said, and the associated economic costs for 2021. I think that's pretty obvious. You know, normally I'd be sitting here like I did last year talking about the economic impacts of working days lost. How can they measure that this time with so many working days lost and all of us, many of us, I should say, working from home, lockdowns, etc. So, the, the comments here from HCC Executive Sarah Albin said, these annual statistics are important to give us a clear picture of the health and safety risks faced by workers in Great Britain and to help inform the measures HSC employers, policymakers and workers themselves need to take to ensure anyone can go home from work safe and well. This 12-month period in question coincides with the first national lockdown and the unprecedented challenges of the pandemic. There have been significant impacts on the labour market, which is reflected in our new reporting. So just going on a bit further from this, it says of the 1.7 million workers who suffered work-related illness, new or long-standing, in that period, 800,000 were for stress, depression or anxiety, and 28% were for musculoskeletal disorders. I managed to say that properly, which was uh, 500,000 workers. So, you know, this, this comes on from the previous podcast where I talked about the latest fatality statistics. It's a really interesting period in you know in our in our working history i should say in modern working history because we've not all been in the workplace quite obviously so you know less people in the workplace can result in less physical injuries in workplaces but these statistics are developing and really focusing now obviously on illness and mental health as they should do and it's difficult as they're saying here to truly analyze what underlying causes of this is and you know normally we'd be talking about everyone needs to do more to protect the mental health and well-being of their employees it's it's a big focus of your day jobs now but this has been taken one step further you know it's difficult enough looking after the mental health and well-being of staff in normal day-to-day employment because you know uh, everyone needs to make sure they focus on the health and well-being of their staff but now this unprecedented pandemic which as, as we've talked about a moment ago, has brought on such heartbreak, strain, stress, depression, etc. I think we can all understand anxieties around COVID-19 because individually everyone's faced them in different ways. So it's it's, it's almost like an, a new threat to, to mental health, what well, is a new threat, that it's not as simple as saying, what can we do in the workplace to protect workers and um, and really make sure we're doing the most we can to, to look after them? This is something out of left field, you know, thus pandemic by nature. And it's another thing that you in the workplace, as people responsible for health and safety and well-being, have have had to focus on. And I just thought you'd be fascinated to to hear the stats. You know, 1.7 million workers suffering from work-related illness and over half of those being for stress, depression and anxiety. I don't think it's massively shocking that these figures have drastically gone up. It's unprecedented times. But uh, the hope is, as I say this, Plan B is being removed in in England. There's rumours that we are going to move, allegedly, to some form of old school normality, I should say, um, from perhaps March, April. And it's something that obviously we're all very much hoping is the case. It seems that Omicron is is a less dangerous variant, not to you know, diminish the, the seriousness of COVID-19 full stop. But the hope is now that uh, 
maybe we're starting to build up more immunity from either having had it or having had the jabs and we can start moving forwards like we used to but you know no guarantees here but it does feel like the first time I can talk about this that despite those truly awful statistics that I just gave you that maybe there's some light at the the end of the tunnel and that moves us nicely on to our second news story where IOSH has said it supports flexible working so again if you want to see any of these news stories go to hsmsearch.com for the past story just use the search box in there and you can read HSE publishes work-related health and injury statistics the headline of this story now though is IOSH supports flexible working so flexible working should be available to all employees in all industries from the first day of their job according to the institution of occupational safety and health which is IOSH obviously so according to IOSH there should also be a reduction in the time employers are allowed to consider and respond to flexible working requests based on the circumstances and clear business reasons must be given for them turning down the possibility of exploring alternatives. Those are among the measures IOSH has called for in response to a consultation into flexible working by the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, so BEIS, BASE. So according to IOSH, flexible working has a number of benefits for workers and businesses, including decreased absenteeism, or presentism, an increased ability to attract and retain staff, heightened morale in the workplace, and positive impacts on the workplace health, safety, and wellness. So that's where the workforce's health, safety, and wellness. So it also provides more opportunities for older workers and can address some of the barriers faced by disabled workers of people with long-term health benefits. So I'll just quickly say, you know, what Ruth Wilkinson, who's the head of health and safety at IOSH, said. She said, flexible working has huge benefits for both workers and their businesses. As things stand, however, not all workers are able to access it, something which we feel needs to be put right. So you can see the IOSH's full quotes in there. As I said, just go to hsmsearch.com and in the search box, put IOSH supports flexible working. So in principle, I, I do understand this. You know, there is obvious benefits to people working from home you know in in my business you know we've got 24 staff here and during lockdown obviously the staff are at home and, and we've tried to be flexible working ever since but the way that this is said is it's, it's almost universally that everybody should work home well that, that's not realistic if you work in mcdonald's you can't work from home so you know if you're a professional footballer you can't work from home although my football club Oxford united probably do have a good effort of when they're on the pitch making it look like they're still at home but you know it's in theory you look at my business that we've talked about there yes flexible working we embraced it but actually we had the other problem we had staff during lockdown and it comes back from the previous story about mental health and depression, begging to be allowed to come in, begging to be allowed to have some people so they didn't feel isolated. So I certainly don't agree with unilateral everyone should work from home because also it's just not feasible, let alone the entire sector that would be devastated, you know, the people that, uh, you know, property management businesses for offices, workspaces, you know, that would have a problem on the uh, economy. But am I against home working? In fact, working absolutely not. For As we're saying here, for people with disabilities, for elder generation, it can be truly helpful in those situations. And actually for... For any age group, being able to work from home, the flexibility, the mental health and productivity benefits are there for all to see, which is why we do embrace it. And, you know, it's not as simple, though, as saying you have to be allowed to be at home all the time or most of the time. I don't think IOSH is saying that either. It's not saying constant working from home. But it's something you do have to look at on a case-by-case -case basis. And obviously they are saying, you know, they want a 
maximum period of time of when you give detailed answers of why you can or can't work from home. But I would say as an employer, yes, I embrace this. Yes, I do this along with my two business partners. And, and you know, it's it's something that, that works well. But there is such a thing of going too far with it because it can be then a situation whereas if people are absent, communication issues can happen. Now, we all know about Teams. You listen to a podcast, for heaven's sake. You know, we believe in digital and digital communication. But face-to-face is still important. It's that time and opportunity to be around your colleagues to better get to know them, to communicate with them stronger. It can help eliminate mistakes. So so my response is, yeah, in principle, I agree, absolutely. Look at it. But it's not universal for all workers, that's for sure, because it can't be. And, and, and there is a fine line of when is too flexible going to be damaging to your business, but being unflexible can be damaging to your business and to workers as well. So it's something that I just wanted to talk about because it's something that, you know, I directly, you know, live with on a day in, day out basis. And I'd be very keen to, you know, hear all of your feedback on that. You know, feel free to hit us up on Twitter or LinkedIn using the hashtag HSM podcast to give your feedback on that. So next news story. If you remember in the last edition of the podcast, I interviewed Tim Elson, my former boss, actually, and he has launched the Safety, Health and Wellbeing Live events. And it was the running in Manchester Central and Farnborough. Well, we sat down, did a detailed interview with Tim before Christmas and then Omicron happened. <laughs> so Tim and his event, the Safety, Health and Wellbeing Live, have had to move their Manchester date. So obviously we promoted that heavily in the last edition of the podcast. It was due to take place in February it's now been moved to the 23rd and 24th of May. It'll still be taking part at Manchester Central. So if you've registered already, you'll have already had a email saying click here to say you can still come. But, you know, we talked at length on the last edition of the podcast about why you could and should attend that event. It'll be a fantastic event. Lots of free CPD, huge number of associations giving guidance there, all the latest products and services on show. The, the date for Farnborough, hasn't moved that's still in September but the but the one in Manchester has so that's now the 23rd and 24th of May you can register for free just go to www.safetyhealthwellbeing.live that is safetyhealthwellbeing.live and if you didn't get that honestly just google or put any search engine safety health and well-being live and you can sign up for free to go on the 23rd and 24th of May at Manchester Central so speaking of new launches, etc., um, you know, I was promising you that we were going to announce something and the HSM Golfer Networking Day is going to happen. So all of you golfers out there should thoroughly enjoy this. So we've just announced that Health and Safety Matters, which is us, of course, will be holding its first ever industry golfer networking day in partnership with the BSIF and proudly sponsored by Martel. And it's taking place at the Celtic Manor Resort in Newport, Wales. You know, very, very famous golf course resort there. And it takes place on the 15th of June. So, as I said, the day is being put on in partnership with the BSIF. And, you know, we've done this on the back of feedback from you guys. And in a recent networking survey, all of you asked us for more networking opportunities. 25% of you said, wouldn't mind golf being involved. So, we've listened to you. And... That's what we're doing. So the morning will be CPD content, which will get CPD um, certificate for attending, being able to network with all of your peers. There'll be four CPD seminars. You'll have, you know, bacon baps on arrivals and then you'll have a networking lunch as well. And then we're all off out to play 18 holes of golf. 
and uh, it's on the Roman Road course for those of you wanting to know because <laughs> there's three courses at Celtic Manor but you know it there's 90 minutes of CPD seminars on there it's great networking I mean tickets are flying at the moment actually so please do come and join us not only will you get CPD um, and I will be announcing soon the content lineup for that you'll get fantastic networking opportunities and then you've got 18 holes of golf and of course I'll be giving out trophies for the winning team closest to the pin and longest drive it should be a really really good day out I've put it as that date 15th of June because I mean, surely even in Wales it can't rain in June, right? I mean, I know famous last words, but that's very much the hope. So you can get your tickets now. Just go to www.hsmgolf.com. That is hsmgolf.com. And you can you can actually be a sponsor of the event if you want to. You know, drop me a line on social media or our sales manager, Christine Fitzgerald. Just drop me a line on LinkedIn if you'd like to do any sponsorship opportunities. But... Yeah, very limited places, very limited tickets still left for the golf. Please go to hsmgolf.com. Right, final really news piece or announcement to go over with you, and that's about the BSIF Awards. So obviously the BSIF Safety Awards have taken place for a number of years alongside our event, which is the Safety and Health Excellence Awards, and entries are now open for that. So I would urge you all to enter. There is, uh, once again, the same category. So... Just if you don't know the BSAF Awards, they've been going for many, many years. And the awards recognise excellence in product innovation, customer service, safety solution, and, and the key goal of improving occupational health and safety is what all of those categories are there for. So the closing date for entries is the 18th of February. So as I said, we've got the categories there, the customer service award, the product innovation award, and the BSIF safety solution award now if you want to enter you absolutely can do there's also one other category which is the water pollution prevention award and all you need to do is go to bsif.co.uk and that will probably get you there but actually the exact link is bsif.co.uk forward slash bsif dash awards so bsif.co.uk forward slash bsif dash awards and you can enter those categories all the way um, all the way through there but as we said the deadline is fast approaching for that and uh, you know you need to get your skates on to be quite honest and then the winners will be revealed as part of the safety and health excellence awards um, which take place as I mentioned earlier at the Vox at the NEC in Birmingham on the 6th of April 2022 and as I said the deadline for that is the 18th of February now in the meantime you can obviously enter the she awards still um, you know, we've got a working deadline at the moment, which we will almost certainly extend, as we always do, the 31st of January. I'll be extending that to about the same deadline, if I'm honest now, I'll give you a spoiler, the 18th of Feb, like the BSIF are doing. And it's free to enter the She Awards categories. All you need to do is go to she-awards.com. And that's the perfect way. It takes a couple of minutes to enter your team, a colleague, yourself, a project, um, a campaign, a product. There's many, many different categories in there. And you know, Unsung Hero Award, Best Health and Safety in Construction, Best Health and Safety in Manufacturing. You know, there is absolutely loads that you can enter in there. And Rising Star of the Year, Safe Logistics Awards is in there. So please do enter. It's the perfect way to get industry recognition from your peers. Nothing better. And it takes only a couple of minutes to do so. And it is 
at www.she-awards.com. Completely free to enter. So pretty much that is the roundup of all of the news and announcements I wanted to go through on this edition of the podcast. Obviously, you don't have to wait until the next podcast to see all the latest news, prosecutions, um, products and services, and also our webinars that we've got. Just go to our website, www.hsmsearch.com. So now we move on to our main guest to this edition of the podcast, and it is Louis Wusterman. Louis has been in the health and safety sector for many a year. He probably won't mind me saying, and has been a publisher of some fantastic health and safety magazines over that period of time. And, you know, at the moment, he's also doing some work, which we'll be talking about today, to do with hybrid workers, health, safety and well-being in partnership with Eco Online. And in fact, we recently did a survey where 500 of you took part in to help deliver a white paper on this, which will be coming out at the end of January, which you'll be able to find on the Eco Online website and ours. So you can go to ecoonline.com. That'll come out, that white paper. And of course, we'll be giving out a CBD certificate to any of you that read it. So I sat down with Louis earlier today, and here's what he had to say. Well, Louis, this is a pleasure for me. We've been peers in the health and safety journalistic sector for a long time. So uh, great to have you on the podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks, Mark. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure to be chatting to you. Well, not many people say that, but I appreciate the uh, <laughs> the sentiment. But yeah, I mean, this is interesting for us because obviously you've been in the health and safety sector for a long, long time. Um, as I did in my intro, said that, you know, you've been the publisher of multiple health and safety journals and, and really left a, a real impact on that. And now you're obviously working with Eco Online. And, it, and you know, I know you do a lot of other stuff. Uh, obviously, you still do plenty of PR and journalistic work. But in this particular thing, we want to talk to you because obviously you're working with Eco Online because your aim is to promote best practice in hybrid working. And in fact, am I right in saying that you know you used to be a home working consultant? Is that right? I did, yes. Um, about 20 years ago, before I went into um, health and safety and environment publishing, I was um, I ended up doing a lot of of kind of guidance, including health and safety stuff, for various local authorities and for the British Council, Oxford University Press, various other organisations on on how to how to set up home working projects and make them work. Um, some of it full time, some of it sort of three days a week, which is kind of in the end what we now call hybrid working. And um, yeah, so I was actually uh, getting stuck in and, and and helping solve problems in that area a long time ago. Coming back to it now, I don't find that a massive amount has changed. The same questions tend to come up, particularly on the health and safety side, over and over again. So it's quite useful because I can kind of look back projects that went on for five or ten years that I had some hand in or that I wrote about at the time um, and um, and researched and, and see what actually, you know, what people need to watch out for and what they don't need to worry about for the most part. You know, I've known you for over a decade and I never knew that. So you learn something new every day. Um, I'm very fast, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk about my past. It's, it's not as exciting as that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so I want to go over a fair few things today. But, but actually, the background for everyone listening to this is that HSM actually worked with you and Eco Online to, to do a survey that is ultimately, in the next coming days, is going to release a white paper on hybrid working you know we had nearly 500 people take part in this survey a really great result and and this white paper is 
is coming out soon. So you, you need to check, um, obviously the HSM website will have it, but do keep your eyes peeled also on the Eco Online website, which is ecoonline.com. And, 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 and what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about managing hybrid workers' health, safety, and well-being. And in actual fact, Louis, I know I should probably say now that you are working with Eco Online, aren't you, to actually chair a, uh, a two-hour digital seminar on this, which takes place on the 23rd of February 2022, between 1 and 3 p.m. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you're planning to uh, to cover? Yeah, that would just be everything to do with setting people up safely um, and healthily to, to, to work just from risk assessment, through equipment provision, um, some of the things I'm sure we'll, we'll, you and I will touch on in this conversation, but, um, but sort of the real nitty-gritty insurance, um, all of the stuff that, that, you know, you have to think about, even if not sweat very heavily, when you're putting people into a new workplace, which also happens to be where they go at the end of the day. Um, so it'll be, it'll be a kind of, you know, a really long-form discussion of the aspects of health and safety and, and hybrid working. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to uh, go to that uh, session, all you need to do is go to ecoonline.com forward slash seminars. So that's forward slash seminars underscore hybrid working. So ecoonline.com forward slash seminars underscore hybrid working. It's completely free to attend. And yeah, Louis will be chairing that session. and will be going over a lot of what we're going today, but obviously in much more detail. It's on managing hybrid workers' health, safety and well-being. And it's on the 23rd of February at 1pm. Okay, Louis, so I just want to go over this topic. You know, it's a really interesting topic. So I'll fire away some questions at you if you don't mind, which is pretty much part yeah. of the course on this part of the webinar. Sorry, the, sorry, podcast, I should say. Webinar's in my head now, Louis, after that promo. So... What's the difference between lockdown home working and hybrid working? What what is the, the difference between the two? Because they are different. Yeah, there, there is definitely a difference, and it is it's very easy to underestimate it because we've had people working at home after all for the past couple of years. Kind of whether they whether you they or you the organisation liked it or not, that's where they had to go at the beginning of the pandemic because um, of movement restrictions and so on. And and actually, that worked out. The reason why we're talking about this now is because for a lot of organisations, that worked out so well for a lot of the employees and for the organisations that now they want to put that onto a kind of a version of it, onto a permanent permanent footing. But the difference is is that the kind of make-do and, and kind of spirit of the blitz and, you know, we just have to get on with things aspect that, that happened through, and, and it's even happened recently through the pandemic. After all, in in, in England, the movement restrictions that, that forced people to work at home were only relieved, what, yesterday, today? It's kind of the last set. So there's, it's a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of, of forced home working just because employers couldn't do anything else with employees whose jobs could be done at home. When you switch over to something where you're saying to employees, well, you know, we want you to work at home or we will allow you to work at home three days a week. This will be the pattern. This is how we're going to organise it. It's a it's a slightly different thing. Even if it's less of the same, less of working at home, then suddenly you're putting something onto an open-ended footing presumably. You're, so you're not saying to them, right, we'll do this as long as the pandemic lasts. And 
you're making it a kind of a, a, it's a formal work choice. It's a it's something where your obligations are different, and 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 that's recognised by the authorities because after all, the the HSE uh, in last year in the lockdowns, no, sorry, 2020 in the lockdowns, I just missed the year there. Uh, they were saying that you didn't have to worry too much about home risk assessments, and you were kind of you know you. It was special circumstances, and so they weren't going to be going around sending, even if they had enough inspectors, they weren't going to be sending them around to people's houses to check up if they were working properly um, in, in, in healthy and safe conditions. They recognised that it was a crisis. Um, that's gone now. The HSE's guidance on home working says, says that home workers must have a set of conditions and they say they explicitly include hybrid workers in that. The fact that you're not sending someone to work five days a week doesn't really matter. If they're at home two or three days a week, then you still have to do certain things for them. So it's you know it's an enormous experiment we're about to go into um, with this, where hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of employees will be working at home for the first time. And organisations who might have had a few people who worked at home a day a week or kind of, you know, when they felt like it or whatever, suddenly acquire much more of a defined duty of care for, for home working staff, even if they're doing it to say part of the week. So it is a change. So, you know, actually, what, what you won't necessarily know is when I did the news on this episode of the podcast, IOSH have come out and said, you know, it should ultimately be every sector should look at the idea of flexible working, home working. And, and, and I responded to that, Louis, just saying, I, I do deploy that within our own business. Absolutely. And that, and that was there actually pre-pandemic, but certainly during the pandemic. But it's not a one size fits all policy. I think I gave the example of saying, you know, McDonald's staff can't work from home for obvious reasons. But that comes on to my next question, you know, taking people that work in public facing, you know, corporate hospitality environments or restaurants, bar staff, etc. Is outside of that, should anyone be disallowed from hybrid working, in your opinion? I think no, on the basis that almost nobody, I'll come to the exceptions in a minute, the, the, um, the, The type of work is 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 a you know it kind of defines whether or not someone can work at home with a computer. As you say, you know you're not going to be doing um, vehicle maintenance in your in your front room. We hope, um, but the but if we're talking about working at home in front of a computer, which is kind of a lot of the jobs in our economy, then most people can be uh, can work at home with with some assistance. And the thing, and the way you find out whether they need the assistance, and ultimately whether or not they can work at home, is obviously to do a risk assessment. And one of the things you'd want to check as part of that risk assessment is whether or not they've got space at home that is 11 cubic meters. That's in the workplace um, regulations that, as a minimum workspace, it, it equates to about 4.5 square meters of, of floor area. And obviously, that can be shared with other family space. You know, that could still be someone's dining table, but if they're living in a tiny, tiny space with, with you know, in Victorian conditions, with I don't know, six people sharing a little tiny room, uh, and that's the only space they'd have to work in. I think you'd, you'd, you would want to think very seriously about whether or not they would be more productive in the office. But frankly, they'd probably be telling you that themselves. So that's that's a, a that's something. 
Um, otherwise, I think it's just about making adjustments to if someone, for instance, doesn't have a separate room to go to and they're not going to be able to go away from from living space that they share with other people. You don't really want their work left out and kind of overflowing into the space. You can get lockable cupboards that actually with a drop down desk that, that you know, you could provide for somebody. Um, there are there are ways of doing it so that they're not they're not going to be interfering with their home life when they're when they're outside working hours, even if it's a space like their kitchen or their their living room that is shared with other people. And arguably, actually, if it is a space they have to share with other people, it, it, it might actually mean that they're not trying to work long, long hours, which some people do when they're working at home and, and isn't ideal. Overworking is a real problem. And so. you've you touched on this, Louis, but there are going to be employers or health or safety managers that are listening to this. Uh, they're responsible for looking after hybrid and home workers. What equipment should we provide for home workspaces? There's a basic setup that, that I think is, is good to provide, and it is very basic. And it, part of, partly it'll decide on that sliding scale of how many days at home you're asking people to work. But the, the very basic thing, if you're going to ask people to work hours and hours um, in front of their, their laptops, is that the laptops have to be able to be adjusted. They, they need some way to, uh, to have the screen height different from, from that, the one that's attached to the keyboard. So really a, a, a monitor and docking station or a laptop stand and separate keyboard are the very basics. God knows those are, those are not massively expensive anymore. Um, Secondly, I'd, I'd go for a chair. I think uh, I think that unless they've got something height adjustable at home and preferably a kind of proper office style chair with a five point star base so it doesn't fall over easily and casters on the bottom so they can move it around just by wiggling themselves and an adjustable back and seat height, you know, seat seat tilt and so on. Those are those are the ideals. You know, you can get those not, for not a bad price from large Swedish box furniture retailers. I, I think that, that if they haven't got that, then and they're going to be at home more than one day a week, I would really think about providing that. Beyond that, desks, things like that, I don't I'm not I'm not so worried about I think you can the, if you've got a chair that's adjustable, and you could and you've got something where you can move a laptop up and down with a say a, a stand, or even a pile of books, if, if someone's working at home a day a week, as long as they can get something to the right height, um, to work at, then then I think you can. People can often work off their own furniture. Um, beyond that, you want to look a bit at electrical safety. That would be in your risk assessment. Um, it might be you don't want people working off triple um, plugs off a you know off the same socket where they've got those kind of extender plugs. A lot of people in our survey, uh, a lot of people provide home workers with. Um, with extension leads. This is the Eco Online um, survey white paper that's coming out that you mentioned earlier. There, there are uh, th that's a good idea is to provide people with it, with extension leads. That, that means that you know you've supplied really good ones, ones that they didn't happen to buy down the market or something like that. Um, beyond that, ideally, I think a first aid kit uh, if they were working at home a reasonable number of hours a week, and maybe a fire extinguisher. But again, it depends on, on uh, I think, if you want to provide all of these things to anyone who's working at home, that's best practice. Uh, I don't think that there's necessarily going to be 
some kind of comeback if you don't, except if something happens to them. And then do you want that on your conscience? Because you, you put them there, in a sense. They, they, they may live there, but, but for the purposes of the task they were doing when something caught fire in their house, you, you put them there. They were sitting in that room because you were, you were asking them to work there. That's quite important. Um, and obviously there are insurance implications and, and, and liability for, for things. If you don't provide these things to people, then you might find that personal injury claims were harder to defend if, you, if you've been relying on, on their home kit. Um, yeah, I think that, that sums up the equipment. The storage I did mention earlier on, I think some kind of, if you're not providing people with a kind of whole lock away workstation, then at very least something where they can put papers at the end of the day, like a little lockable box or something, both for company security and for your and for their peace of mind so that they're not reminded of work in the room where they're going to go and sit and watch the telly, if that's the way that, that their workstation is set up. And we, and we mentioned this white paper that, yes, we have worked with EQ Online on, and so have you. It's due out towards the end of January. You'll be able to see it on uh, hsmsearch.com, but you'll certainly be able to see it at ecoonline.com. And we're actually issuing a CPD certificate, so any of you that read it will get um, an hour of uh, informal CPD through that. So I would encourage you to go to ecoonline.com towards the end of January to see that. And, and that is based, as Louise said, on the results of the survey that we all worked together on, which you know had some really interesting results. But carrying on on this conversation, Louis, how do we manage and measure employees' health, safety, and well-being at home, in your opinion? Well, there's a mixture of ways, um, and the things the things I'd say that measuring employees' safety is 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 not going to be your greatest worry from experience of people who've, who've set up these schemes and run them over years and years. It'll be the health bits that bite you. Um, it'll be the problems with DSE setup. If things change and you don't know that things have changed in in their home workspace, or isolation and stress. Those are those are uh, things that come up um, in our in the Eco Online survey um, that's going to be in the white paper. We the things that came up most with lockdown home working was 74% of companies were reported they had people struggling with isolation and about 49% struggling with musculoskeletal disorders. So those are the things that come up and that, that's, that's borne out by all my experience as well over the years. And so what you want is something where you can go back in and check the state of people's people's state of mind and the state of their workstation set up fairly regularly. Now, I would argue that managers should be doing that anyway. Should be doing that both formally and informally. But you can get software that that you can get things uh, things where you program in a regular sort of pop up reminder to people to to validate the fact that they are still. That their their workstation is still set up for for good posture, and that they you know that they have the right requirements to be working at home healthily. And then you can also do you know similarly with software, um, you can you can get remote polls of people just to check what their the state of their mind is to see whether they're iso they're feeling isolated. And I don't necessarily mean isolated from the world. I don't mean that they're getting lonely because for three days a week they're working at home and it's more that they get isolated from the organization. 
that they feel that things are going on that they didn't know about properly. They weren't, in, you know, they, the days they go into the office don't overlap with the days of the people that they learn most from or that they that they like most. Um, that they're not visible to the organisation. You have to set up all of these. You have to be measuring whether that, as well as kind of trying to control it in the first place. You have to be measuring whether or not that's happening in a creeping way. You know, you can say, oh, well, we'll have one day a week when the whole team is in the office, is guaranteed to be in the office together. Is that enough? Is that, you know, one out of five? Um, it, it, not if you don't have other things going on, I think, kind of virtual kind of replacements, you know, online replacements, chat rooms, um, buddy systems, meetings that, you know, that, that on Zoom or Teams or whatever system you use. There's a lot of, it's a lot about just keeping people conscious that, that this is a different arrangement than the one they used to work in, not assuming because of lockdown working that they're just completely geared up for it and that everything's all right. This is this is it's something that just needs monitoring and checking and seeing that they're all still, you know, that, they're, that, the, that people are still necessarily sort of happy and laughing, but just just that they're okay working at home. That that the, the times that they do and that the pattern suits them suits them reasonably well, and adjusting it if necessary. That's been one of the hardest things for me as an employer, Louis. You know, as I said, we had to switch everyone to home working permanently during lockdown. Because, you know, when you're running mag you know, magazines, websites, etc., like we do, you can do that remotely. But it was actually checking in on people, as you said, is, is really fundamentally key. I've said many times this podcast, we had staff begging for us to let them back in the office because they didn't like being isolated. They, you know, they missed that one-to-one contact teams as you said and things like that it's been great to bring people together it doesn't quite replace that one-to-one face-to-face you know you and i have had you know plenty of chats on the phone and calls but it was still better when we met up face-to-face at the nec uh at the time and and it has been something i've had to really think about you can't just send a message on teams how are you? you know we did make an effort to call staff and make teams calls because people tell you they're all right louis don't they but Actually, yeah. you can't see it. You know, when you're there face to face, you can normally judge body language better and see how they are over a sustained period of time. It, you know, they can mask how they truly feel, can't they? It, it, it's it's not easy, and it's definitely something you have to to look out for. Yeah, and and before you before you know it, if if that develops and develops, and you're only seeing them one day a week, or maybe two days a week, if you're if you're lucky in the office. Those things can develop, and they make them. They make people less productive, or they make them leave, and uh, and then you're paying all the costs of recruiting someone new to replace them. And that's not. It, it just takes extra effort and reminders and training for the line managers, because the line managers are going to have to cope with a thing where some of them will have been, some of them will have been relying really for their status on on seeing people in front of them every day. You know, this is my team. This is the, these are the people I manage. Um, and and that's that that goes. Some of that goes. It's a different it's a different beast, and and they and they need support as well. Um, everyone everyone's going to need stabilizers. I think in these in these early days, despite the fact that they've been doing it for a couple of years in in in, in an extreme form. You know, it's a funny one. It is. So, are there any new office risks that come with hybrid working? I'm glad you asked me that. It's a really good question. Um, the the yeah, it's funny because because you're 
you know, all you've got really is reduced office space, or sort of reduced office usage, isn't it? But then you, you have to think, what comes with that? Well, the, the, the temptation is that if you've got, you're not going to for, forever say, right, we have most people at home for three days a week, therefore we will, um, you know, we'll just make sure everyone still has that desk for the two days that they're in and so on. There's been enough hot desking and hoteling and all these different types of flexible workspace schemes going on in organisations all over the country for the last 20 years that that there other new organisations aren't going to try those. And there's, and there's two things to watch out for there, is that um, you need a certain amount of, of training to move people over to hot desking. Um, they, they, because things like workstation adjustment and so on, you know, people can't actually fit a workstation to them to themselves, then go away and leave it and come back. And it's still exactly in the same position. So, so that would kind of retraining people to know that they have to actually fit a desk that they weren't working at last time they came into the office to their needs is, is a, is an important thing watching out that when you do that that you're not ignoring special dse needs i i, I know a company who should remain nameless who bought a new office space did a did a did a study of, of how much space they could get away with for allowing for hot desking and then suddenly when they moved in found out that they'd never checked how many people had special desk requirements had adjustment workstation adjustments because they had existing musculoskeletal disorders or whatever and so their desk had to be a certain type and had to be adjusted to them and come with a lot of accessory and they they actually had to buy extra office space on top of their, their new shiny headquarters which was which was supposed to be a, a a saving moving into it um they they then had to lease a load of new office space because they they'd overfilled their hot desking um, space with with fixed desks that would belong to people who who had pre existing conditions. So that's something to, to watch out for. Um, that isn't something you just move to seamlessly. And then the other thing is, what what is there that you rely on in the office that um, is based on everybody being in? And I'd say that's probably things like the numbers of fire marshals and first aiders is that if you've still got um, office occupancy of a third of the people you had before, proportionally, you still need a certain number of people for those critical functions um, in case of emergency. And it might happen that with hybrid working, you've, they're all out. And so you may need to recruit more of them. You're likely to need to recruit more of them because quite a few of them will be at home on any given day. So those are the those are the basics. Otherwise, um, you could argue that in some ways the the risk level in offices goes down because there are fewer people to trip over the rucked carpet or or whatever. Well, for all of you um, that want to hear more about this and read more about this, as we said throughout this chat, the managing hybrid workers health state and wellbeing white paper is coming out at the end of January. You can go to eco online com for that we'll also have it on our website hsmsearch.com you'll also be able to take part as I said at the start of this conversation with louis in a online digital webinar that's last two hours on the same topic and it takes place on the 23rd of february from 1 to 3 p.m completely free and again you can go to ecoonline.com forward slash seminars underscore hybrid working for that and 
if you want to come and chat with Louis and myself face to face, you'll have that opportunity. Lucky you. Um, come to the health and safety event where Louis does a brilliant job chairing the theatre that we put on. So the HSM Knowledge Exchange, which takes place at the health and safety event at the NEC in Birmingham on the 5th to 7th of April. Now, the great thing about this is, as you can tell, Louis's had decades of experience in this sector. We don't put death by PowerPoint on those sessions, do we, Louis? It's you, three or four panellists, and then the audience really sets the agenda of the topics that you and I have set. It's it's only good and lively, isn't it? it those sessions are, are brilliant. It's like free consultancy. You you rock up, you ask you ask experts questions, and they answer them for free. And so all you, you know, all you've got to do is go there, and 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 you learn a lot from other people's questions and answers as well. I love those sessions, and there's never any lack of of people putting their hands up and asking really useful things. In fact, my whole involvement with eco online and, and hybrid working came up partly I, I, because of one of the sessions at, at, the, at the last one in September, wasn't it? That um, that that was the, I thought there was a lot of people who were still worrying about the risks, how to manage the risks of, of hybrid working here. But they got a lot of answers in the session that we ran then and to all the other things like confined spaces or, you know, safety culture or any of the other topics that we covered. Yeah, no, they're really lively. I'd recommend it. Now, looking forward to seeing you there, my friend. Thank you for taking time to, to speak with us. And of course, if uh, anybody wants more information on Eco Online, please do go and su- support them. Uh, and that is www.ecoonline.com. Well, thanks, Lou. It was great catching up with you. And I guess I will see you in April. And best of luck on the Managing Hybrid Workers Health and Safety and Wellbeing webinar you're doing. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. Great talking to you. And that's all we've got time for on this edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. But as I've said quite a few times today, you don't need to wait for the podcast to come out to see all the latest news in the health and safety sector. You just need to go to our website, which is www.hsmsearch.com. You can see all the latest news, prosecutions, products and services on there. And you can also sign up to our upcoming CBD webinars or look at our back catalogue of CBD webinars that you can watch on demand, or you can go watch our digital conference on demand, which is www.hsmlive.co.uk. But if you do go to our website, which is hsmsearch.com, you can also sign up to get our twice a week newsletter, or you can sign up to get copies of Health and Safety Matters for free. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, once again, the Health and Safety event, which takes place on the 5th to 7th of April at the NEC in Birmingham. And if you sign up for free, and I'd very much encourage you to do so, you can also access the security event, the workplace event, and the fire safety event. And as you know, Louis Wooster and I just said, we're obviously hosting a theatre at the Health and Safety event, which is the HSM Knowledge Exchange, which Louis will be chairing for me. And if you want to register, it's free to do so. Just go to healthandsafetyevent.com. In the meantime, if you've got any feedback on the podcast, always keen to hear it, any questions, comments, suggestions, etc., just go on LinkedIn or go on to Twitter and use the hashtag HSM podcast. But please do spread the word to your friends. And uh, thank you for joining us today. And we'll see you on the next edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. Music.